Let's make a start uh, to the meeting tonight. 156 is the opening hymn. No, he comes with clouds descending, once for favored sinners slain, thousand, thousand saints attending, swelled the triumph of his train. Hallelujah, God appears on earth to reign. We're going to stand and sing.
may be seated. Will it be the cry as it was for the beloved John in the book of Revelation in the hearts of God's people uh, to come quickly? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We are thinking about Israel. <coughs> this has been on the announcements now this past couple of weeks, and we're simply asking you to pray for the land and pray for the people. If I was a Jew and I was meeting yesterday, I might, might just have said Shabbat Shalom, and uh, Pat will be able to reply to that most readily. But it is peace on the Sabbath, or a Sabbath of peace, and uh, there's no peace there at the moment, as you know, and I'm sure that they long in their hearts for the day of peace. We know that peace will not come until the Prince of Peace returns. And it's when Christ comes again that he's going to bring true peace to the city and to the nation. And he has a plan and a purpose for his beloved people. Even though they're in blindness at this time, there's coming a day when eyes will be opened and the nation will be born, I believe born again, brought to Christ to recognize him as the Messiah that they're still waiting for. Let's bow together and seek the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God, as we come to the house of the Lord tonight and we come now to the presence of God in prayer, we are thankful for the saving work of Christ, for one who came from the heights of glory into this world. Think of all that the Old Testament prophesied concerning him. We think of the very first promise that was given right there back in the days of the Garden of Eden when it was promised to man that one would come who would bruise the head of the serpent. And we know that Christ did that when he came into the world. He crushed the powers of darkness. Think of all those redemptive promises, those promises that pointed to the piercing of Christ, the wounding of the Savior, his bruising at the cross of Calvary, how that he was smitten of God and afflicted. We thank Lord how that all these things by way of prophecy and also by, by way of the Old Testament sacrifices were fulfilled in Christ when he came into the world, having lived a perfect life of obedience, walking in this world aright as our representative and savior, living the life that we could never live, keeping the law of God perfectly that we had broken. He went to the cross and there he laid down his life. He was brought as a, a lamb to the slaughter, putting it in the, the words of the prophecy of Isaiah. And as a sheep before her shearers was dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Father, we thank you for the pathway to the cross and how the Savior carried that implement of crucifixion at least part of the way until Simon the Cyrenian was apprehended and compelled to bear the cross of Christ the rest of the way. <coughs> Your word tells us that when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And Lord, we know that many Jews were responsible for the death of Christ when they cried, away with him, crucify him. Many stood in the shadow of the cross and they were consenting unto his death, as well as the Romans, as well as Pontius Pilate, as well as all who came that day. 
to watch this awful spectacle of Christ crucified. But he cried on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And though we believe that that was very powerfully answered in the lives of some of these soldiers, surely, Lord, many of the Jews too were included in that prayer. And when we come to the day of Pentecost and the Jews have come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate that feast, there they gather on that day for the hearing of the word. The disciples come filled with the Holy Spirit to preach. Peter standing up in the midst of the others and proclaiming that great sermon that speaks of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and the thousands of people that were converted, Jewish people. Oh Lord, we pray for the nation today with all the trouble and war, the conflict, the disturbances, the brutality, the mayhem, everything that's happening there. Lord, you know the detail. We only see what is given to us by the news, by the media. But Lord, you know the smallest detail as well as the great atrocities that have been committed. And we pray for them, for Jewish people, persecuted, trodden down, murdered, maimed, displaced. Lord, we cry in Jesus' name for mercy. And Lord, we pray that more than anything, you will be mercy to them with the Savior and open their eyes to see that the Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. May they turn to him. May there be a real turning to him in these days. And Lord, if this is, and we believe it is a prelude to what is going to happen, Lord, we know that as that day approaches, that there will be a multitude of the Jewish people brought to a saving faith in Christ. And so we commit the nation to thee. We commit the people to thee. We pray for their protection. We pray for their safety. We pray indeed even for those that have been taken captive, that somehow miraculously they will be found and released and brought out of that fearful state. We pray for wisdom to be granted, Lord, in that land as well. Help us to pray as the Lord commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for the peace of the people that live in that land. Do us good tonight in this meeting. We thank you for each one who has come, each one listening on uh, the internet tonight, being part of the congregation. Bless them where they are. Bless us right here in the house of God this evening. Dwell with us. Give us the overwhelming sense of the presence of God. If we get uh, no other sense in our own hearts tonight, give us that sense. God is here. The Lord is working. He is speaking to our hearts. And Lord, may the breath of the Spirit come and a kindling of revival take place in all of our hearts. Lord, set the church of Jesus Christ on fire and help us to burn ablaze throughout the town of Balamone and further afield. Bless us locally. Bless us globally. Remember those that have gone to the mission field. Remember Noreen tonight. Thank thee for her. Remember David, Rachel, the family. Think of Glenn Hamilton and his family too as they are making preparation now for Africa that the Lord will be with them every step of the way. You've opened up these doors and we believe effectually so. And as they seek by the grace of God to go through them, may they know the hand of God mightily upon them. Hear this our prayer for the Savior's sake. Amen. 164. It's another hymn about the coming of Christ. When Jesus comes to reward his servants, 
whether it be noon or night, faithful to him will he find us watching with our lamps all trimmed and bright. Oh, can we say we're ready? I trust that you can. And if not before this meeting is through, you will be able to say, I'm ready. Think of the words, please. Stand to sing. to have you tonight in the meeting. May the Lord bless you as you come here for the gospel service. We bid you a very warm word of welcome and to those in Sermon Audio, Facebook and YouTube, to you likewise at home, welcome in the Savior's name. Refreshments will be served. We do want you to stay if you can, just out here in the fellowship area 
those refreshments will be served and you'll get an opportunity not only to have a little to eat and drink, but to enjoy fellowship the one with the other. In the morning, the Hebron Tots will meet at 10 o'clock. On Tuesday night, the Youth Challenge will take place at 7. And as we said this morning, it's a special night. It's not 7 o'clock, 6.30. Better get that right. Get the children here at 6.30. The buses will be going out earlier, and uh, they're having a, a special time at the beginning with some games and, and pizzas as well, and then into the, the meeting. So let's be of this in prayer. May the Lord be pleased to be with us. On Tuesday also, there's a group going out uh, to the land of Romania for a week, uh, from Tuesday to Tuesday, setting off early in the morning. And just remember us, please, as we go there, mentioned all the names this morning, that the Lord will bless us. Uh, it is a travel day on Tuesday, but then on Wednesday, we go just after lunch out to visit the Deborah House work and to spend a little time with the girls. They're going to help us make up 230 shoebox gifts. So that'll take up a little bit of the time. We will also be able to have a meeting with them, sing some of the choruses together and bring a message to them in the gospel. And the plan is then to take them out somewhere for something to eat just as a, a little treat for them and do something special in the evening. On the Thursday, we will visit Rekash Children's School. It used to be a children's home in communist times. A lot of children were there, but I don't think there's any children living on site now. But there are 150 boys and girls from that village who come in to be educated. They're very poor children, and we will be giving out shoeboxes to them. We will have a two-hour program with them and again, the opportunity to share the gospel with the children. That night, there's a fellowship evening, and some of the folks from the church will come in and spend a little bit of time with us just as we meet together in an informal time of fellowship, singing together, worshiping the Lord together. On the Friday, we will be going to Bougias Juvenile Prison, where there are 70 or 80 young men, boys in their teens, who have been involved in petty crime. But these children, they hear the gospel every week. Doro and Radika go in there. They, they teach them the word of God. I've often said that these children will know more verses of the Bible than many of our children at home. And I'm speaking for our own children in Sunday school. The children, these boys, will actually learn more verses. One boy a number of years ago learned the whole Psalm 100. And um, 19 off by heart uh, he wanted to do that to get a Bible so if there's any children here wanting to get a Bible I'll, I'll get you a Bible if you learn Psalm 119 that would be quite a feat I haven't heard of too many who have learned that whole Psalm just that boy in the prison and you remember over in Brazil in the leprosy colony there was a man with no arms no legs he was blind but he loved the Lord and he knew the Psalm 119 as well. On the Friday night, there's another fellowship time. They're coming in to be with us, spend a little time of singing again. Saturday morning, we leave early to go to Mulder Manoa, and that's all day. We'll be visiting around the community. It takes about two and a half, three hours to get there and the same home. So we hope to spend uh, five, six hours, maybe even seven hours there through the day. There's a lot to do. And then on Sunday, we will be worshiping in Bethany, 
we've been asked to preach at both of the services, so at least the group that come will understand because it's in English and it'll be interpreted, of course, into Romanian. Pray for us, please, that the Lord will be with us. We think of the school's ministry. So glad to the Lord that he's opened up these doors. Tuesday is Castle Row. Wednesday is Les Lagan. For those that are remembering this ministry and prayer, we want you to take some time on Wednesday and on Tuesday before that to remember these schools. Thursday at the prayer meeting and Bible study, the Reverend David Brown will be coming to uh, preach the word and lead that service. Friday is Youth Fellowship. David McCauley will be the speaker. Saturday is the open air at 11 o'clock in the center of the town. And then next Lord's Day begins with prayer. I want you to come and pray together at the early time. Encourage that there was a good number there this morning. Let's keep that up and add to it. Sunday school is at 10.30 and Bible classes at a quarter to 11. The Brother Mervyn story will be preaching the word at the worship service at 12 noon and Pastor Dennis Lyle at night. And I omitted to mention this morning that Rebecca will be singing next Sunday night. Pastor Lyle had requested that she would do this and she consented. So Rebecca will be singing, the pastor will be preaching. We are remembering David Macaulay and Glenn Hamilton. David is from our church here and Glenn is from Valamina. And these men have been accepted by the presbytery as missionaries to go to Africa. In the will of God, David is making preparation to go to Uganda and Glenn preparation to go to Kenya. So these are young men you want to really pray for over the next little while. There is that event, if you're free, uh, to go to the Memorial Hall in Tobermore on the 20th of October at seven o'clock. And it's all to raise money for the Philippines and in particular, our brother Noel Stevenson. Tithes and offerings will now be brought in, and there is a, a day in the month when we give particularly to the Missionary Council and those that help with the school. So remember those envelopes for the Missionary Council and the school, they're due in today. And we sing together 148. Jesus is coming, sing the glad word, coming for those he redeemed by his blood, coming to reign as the glorified Lord, Jesus is coming again. That's the theme right through the hymn. Let's rejoice in it as we sing. Let's shout the glad tidings o'er mountain and plain. Jesus is coming again. We'll keep our seats as we soon.
while. That's maybe some are not singing because of the high notes. But if you can reach them, you sing them out and uh, do as proud of you as we come to verse 2. Jesus is coming, the dead shall arise. Verse 4. Luke 21 is the chapter that we want to turn to this evening as we think of lessons from the war in Israel. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke 21. Reading is a little bit longer tonight, but the verses are short, so let's break into the chapter at verse 5. And as some speak of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass. And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be <clears throat> in divers places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay 
their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, they know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter into. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. For verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, 
and to stand before the Son of Man. And in that day, time, he was teaching in the temple. And at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. God bless his word as we end it there at the end of chapter 21. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank thee that in these days there was a hearing of him and the people flocked to listen to Christ. Even towards the end of his ministry, that didn't change. There might have been more opposition and the persecution was intensifying, but he never lacked an audience and they came to hear. Lord, we pray that even even as we read these words, that you'll create such an interest again in our day in the word of the Lord, in the words of Christ, and bring people to hear. Bring the men under the sound of the word. We pray that our churches will be filled with our neighbors coming to listen to divine truth. As we deal with this subject tonight, just settle our minds and hearts down before your presence. Speak to each individual. And Lord, as we prayed already today, let not one leave without hearing the voice of God. Give us attentiveness. We know there's such a thing as giving our hearts over to the Lord in this time. Take away the distractions. Take away the thousand things that would cram and fill our minds. Help us, Lord, to concentrate upon your word and what God is saying to us in this hour. Fill me now with the Holy Spirit of God. I ask these things in the precious and the worthy name of Jesus. Amen. 1,300 Israelis killed. 1,900 Palestinians. We have heard of the horrific reports of the musical festival massacre. Was it 230 young people especially that were done to death? We have heard of infant children being beheaded, over 10,000 people injured. There is nothing pleasant about war, especially when that war is sponsored by terrorism and terrorists. It brings out the worst in fallen, depraved humanity. The cold-blooded murder of children, the savage humanity of mankind, the butchery of young people, many of them burned alive, the indiscriminate slaughter of the civilian population. And what can we say of the multiple grief, the indescribable heartbreak, the tens of thousands of displaced people, refugees, this very hour, just eight days later, You know, when major events happen, especially when it's wars or disasters, the question is often asked, where were you when it started? Isn't that right? Where were you when the Second World War started? Oh, there's not too many people can remember that. And if you can, you were just little children, and you probably don't have much memory about it at all. Where were you in 9-11? I know where I was. I was visiting a home with Albert Macaulay near a place called 
this Nagonia. I think that's roughly how it's pronounced. And we're visiting two old ladies. They, they were gospel hall ladies, and these were contacts that, that Albert had. And they were telling us of the awful news that was coming in of what had happened over in America. And we got home, and yes, these things were, were verified. Where were you when the Ukrainian war broke out on the 24th of February last year? Do you remember where you were? Some of us were away, Jonathan and Aaron and I, we were in Romania when that happened. So you may remember these things. Where were you last Saturday? Saturday week ago, eight days ago, when the war in Israel broke out, when you first heard about it. We had been in Israel, as you know, but we had traveled a little bit further. We had gone to Africa, or Egypt and Africa, and we had gone on to Turkey, where some visited Ephesus. We had been there before, so we didn't do that. And then we had come to Greece uh, to visit Athens. I had the privilege of preaching Paul's sermon on Mars Hill from Acts chapter 17, just in the shade below uh, the hill that is there before we climbed the hill, for it was very hot. And then we had moved on for a final day. It was Saturday morning, and we were heading to the city of Corinth. And as we traveled in the bus, news was coming in of atrocity that had taken place by the Hamas terrorist organization and what they had done. Do you remember where you were? As Christians, we know the mind and the purpose of God for Israel. We know that Israel is a nation specially chosen by the Lord. And the land also is specifically chosen by God. We want to mark carefully, and this is not really what we're preaching about tonight because we want to come to Luke chapter 22 or chapter 21, but you want to mark a number of things just by way of introduction. You want to mark God's sovereign love for Israel. Never forget it. What God says concerning the Jewish people, and I take you back to the book of Deuteronomy, the second edition of the law, and particularly to chapter 7, where here we have outlined to us God's sovereign purpose for the nation, the people. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all people that are upon the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. No other reason. No other reason given. Why did God set his love upon Israel? Why did he choose Israel above all the nations of the world? It wasn't because they were greater than other nations. It wasn't because there was something better in them. No, they were the fewer people. He set his love upon them because he loved them. It was electing love. So never forget the sovereign love of God for the nation. Never forget also where, where the nation is today. Israel in its present blindness. And I would turn your attention to the book of Romans and the chapter 11. 
And you want to mark here verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so, by and large, the nation is in spiritual blindness. They don't know the Lord. Those that are conscientious in the things of God, as they study the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, they're still waiting for the one promised. They're looking for the Messiah to come. And they don't realize He has come 2,000 years ago in the person of Christ. It's a real tragedy, isn't it? It'd be the most natural thing for a Jew to turn to Christ because Jesus came into that nation. He was born into a Jewish family. And salvation, as we know, is to the Jew first. The most natural thing for them to come, and yet they are in spiritual darkness. But there's God's saving purpose for the nation. And you want to read on it. It ends there in verse 25. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in Verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. A very famous theologian by the name of Charles Hodge. He actually held to a different persuasion in eschatology than and I would, and maybe most of you here tonight would, because he had the view of, of a post-millennial. And yet Charles Hodge interpreted Romans 11 and verse 25 as predicting a great and general conversion of the Jewish people which should take place when the fullness of the Gentiles had been brought in, and that then, and not until then, those prophecies should be fully accomplished which speak of the salvation of Israel. Those who hold to a premillennialist view believe that Israel has a future. And there is a future that is, that is more than a revival of the nation, a spiritual revival. The future of Israel is a restoration of Israel as a nation as well as a people. And they will turn to Christ. We believe that with all of our heart. Now Luke chapter 21 contains a very powerful sermon preached by Jesus 2,000 years ago. And the subject that the Lord deals with basically is the fall of Jerusalem and his return. It's paralleled, as I'm sure you see from what we've read tonight, with Matthew 24 and 25, very, very similar language that is used if you want to know about the future, there's only one infallible, dependable record, and that's the Scriptures of truth. And especially what the Lord tells us about the future. It's so important. Jesus foretells in the chapter that we have read tonight about the destruction of the temple. Look at verse 6 of chapter 21. As for these things, so they, they have been looking at the beautiful temple and how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. Jesus says, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another 
that shall not be thrown down. We all know what happened in AD 70 with the march of the Roman army under the leadership of Titus and how they besieged the city of Jerusalem, marched into it, and did so much of what we read by way of prophecy in AD 70. But much of what the Lord pointed to and the scriptures point to go beyond AD 70. That is abundantly clear. And AD 70 is really a foreshadowing of what is going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns again because this sermon really is pointing to the return of the Savior. Spurgeon said, we must regard the siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple as being a kind of rehearsal of what is yet to be. Then the Lord begins to go into greater details about the days in which he will come back again. You continue to read this sermon, you see there's a time of deception and he warns us not to be deceived. You can mark verse 8, take heed that you be not deceived for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Well, I'm sure you agree we're living in that age. This is the day of deception. All around us there's so much falsehood, false religion. There's an abundance of cults. People are claiming to be Christ. They are certainly claiming to be the agents of Christ, and yet they're not preaching the truth of God's Word. Jesus says, you need to take heed. You need to be warned about such. Then he speaks about the wars and the commotions, as it is put here by Luke, verses 9 and 10. When you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. And you take in verse 10 as well. He said to them, Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. For us, anyhow, in the modern day, we think of Ukraine, don't we? And we think of Israel. And it's having an impact upon us. Certainly, Ukraine's had a great impact upon us personally here in Balamuni, receiving our friends from that land. And we're still interested in what's happening there, and we're still praying for them. And then, most recently, what is happening in the Lord's own country in the land of Israel. It's all pointing to the great day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. Little reminders, or maybe huge reminders, that the Savior's return is imminent. The Lord speaks about great disturbances in the 11th verse, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences, fearful sights, great signs from heaven. He talks about, as you read on, persecution, betrayal, imprisonments, court cases, as the people of God are dragged before magistrates and leaders and kings. He speaks about betrayal, even by your closest, closest friends and family. See what we read there in verse 16, ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren, kinsfolks, friends, and some of you they shall cause to be put to death. Oh, you think of that. Such will be the hatred against Christ and the gospel for some in this world. And it's happening today. They are betrayed by family. They're nearest and their dearest, or they ought to be. 
And then he speaks about intense hatred in the 17th verse. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You want to go to some of the countries where they are under the heel of terrible oppression and persecution, persecuted countries, Christians that are paying the price, put to death because they are the Lord's people, put in prison, tortured. Go there and you'll see the hatred in a more intense way. So think it not a strange thing that we are hated in this land and that people are standing against us because we love the Lord and we seek to stand for the principles of Christ in this land. Jesus said it's going to happen. Things are not looking good for the last days. And though there may be revival, and I believe in revival with all my heart, there may be revival here and there, and we ought to pray for it, and I believe it will happen, and even many souls will be converted to Christ prior to the glorious return of the Savior. Let us know that side by side, what we might refer to as the blessings, the work of God that he's doing in the world, side by side, there will be terrible things happening in this earth. And things are going to wax worse and worse. Let us not be surprised or shocked by what's happening in the land of Israel in these days. And when we see such things, call to mind this sermon. Remember what the Lord is saying, what he preached when he was here upon the earth. Look there, verse 20. When ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let them not, and let not them that are in the countries enter they're into. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. And they shall be laid away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. There will be dark days for Israel. Armies will gather. Nations will come together for the purpose of destroying Jerusalem and Israel as a nation and the Jewish people in general. This is the sworn policy of Hamas, as you know to wipe out Israel, to wipe them off the face of the earth. I want you to turn back to Zechariah 14. We read this chapter this morning in the early time of prayer. It's a great prophetic chapter. It tells us about the end times, what is happening, so you can go through the chapters, pick out those messianic prophecies that point to the days of Christ and that also point to the right, right to the end of time. Verse 4, Verse 1 of chapter 14, Behold the day of the Lord. You want to mark the day of the Lord. That's an expression that is often used in the prophecies as they talk about that last time. Not specifically a 24-hour period, but the day of the Lord. It's the day that ushers in His coming again. It's that last of the last days. 
in which the Lord comes. The day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. Look at verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from this city. Do you see what's happening here? I read that verse, and I could see much of what's in this verse happening right now. It's not the, the right at the end of the time when Jesus is coming again, but it's a foreshadowing what's happening in Israel. Can't you identify with it? Nations gathering against Jerusalem or against the Lord's people, the ancient people, the city taken or places taken, houses rifled, and the women ravished. It's coming a day when, when that will all center upon the city of Jerusalem. And the nations will gather there. And they will come against the city. And they will take the city. And half of the city will be removed from their dwelling places and taken into captivity. And the other half, well, they're still there at the moment. No, no doubt the enemy will want to take them all away. But something happens. Something wonderful happens. Verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. When this happens, when the nations come around the city of Jerusalem and they take the city, take control of the city, take half of the population away and half are still remaining, just when there seems to be no hope whatsoever for Israel, for the city in particular, the Lord steps into the situation and the Lord comes forth and he comes forth to fight against those nations. Verse 4 tells us, His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. This is the glorious, personal, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at that time when Israel is at its lowest, when Jerusalem has been invaded, when all hope seems to be gone, the Lord steps in as he comes again and he fights against the nations that have come against Israel and he comes to stand right there upon the very spot where he ascended into glory, even the Mount of Olives. And things will change. Just maybe to say to you, the Lord will be king in that day. That's what verse 9 tells us. The Lord shall be king over all the earth, not just in Jerusalem, but all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. You want to think of verse 11, men shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. That has never taken place. Jerusalem is not safely inhabited. When we were there, we saw the army, we saw the local forces and they're carrying their guns and we know of the skirmishes, we know of the uprisings that happen from time to time and people are killed and people are fearful and it can happen without warning as it did Saturday week ago. But there's no more utter destruction for Jerusalem and for the Jewish people when Jesus comes again. 
and Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. I mention these things to you because you ought to keep your eye upon Israel. When it comes to, to Bible prophecy, don't be looking to Great Britain. Don't be looking to the United States of America. We don't feature at all. Don't look to, to superpowers in the country like China or India. Look to the Middle East. Look to the Mediterranean. Because all the prophecies of the Bible center around that, that place. And particularly look to Israel and the nations gathering against her. When Jerusalem is compassed with armies and trodden down of the Gentiles. Know that the end is near. Such times will ultimately usher in the coming of Christ. Do you hear what the Savior is saying? Back here in Luke 21, verse 25, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Mark verse 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. What must I learn from what is happening in Israel today. What application is there for me here in this western part of the world, in this little part of the world where I live, when I see things happening in Israel, and I know that it's a foreshadowing of things to come, when times will worsen for the ancient people of God, what is God teaching us? Well, let's look at the words of the Savior in his sermon. And just, just single out some of the verbs that are here because these come to us as divine exhortations. This is what I must learn. And I'm going to go through it very, very quickly for time's nearly away. The first thing is look up. Look up. Mark again the words of verse 28. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Jerusalem compassed with armies, trampled upon by the Gentiles, great commotions in the heavens, among the sun, the moon, and the stars that we've read about here, terrible distress in the nations of the world, with, with perplexity, the waves of the sea roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. Jesus says, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh when they begin to happen. Well, they have begun to happen, men and women. We see much of the Lord's sermon being fulfilled even in our day. And what does the Lord say to us? He says to us, every individual here, look up. The Lord is coming. His return to the earth is imminent. And we are being cautioned by the Lord. Look up. There are many, many Greek words that are translated into the English language as look, all with slightly different meanings or emphasis. There's a word in the Greek language, blipo, and it means to see, then to observe, discern, perceive, 
it has the thought of contemplation. If we go back, if we stay in, in this gospel to Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, where we have an example of this word being used right there at the end of the chapter, Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking, that's the word, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so as we said to you, it means to see, observe, to discern, and to contemplate, or contemplation here. You put your hand to the plow, you become a true child of God, or you say you're a true child of God, and you look back, maybe like Lot's wife did, hankering after the old life, the old sins of the world. When you look back with that kind of contemplation, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God, says the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there, there's another word. It's very, it's very similar. as an extension to that Greek word with a little prefix put before it, and, and it's periblepo. And that means to look about around about, just like I would do on a Sunday when I'm preaching. I'm looking round about the congregation here. And we have an example of that in Luke chapter 6 and verse 10. And it is the Lord himself looking round about upon them, upon them all. He said unto the man, this is the man with the withered hand, stretch forth thine hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Oh, the Lord is here on the Sabbath day and there's a man in great need and a man he's just about to heal but he looked, he looked round about at the congregation that was gathered. And that's, that's what that word means. It means to look, look around you. But the one that is used here translated look in Luke chapter 21 verse 28 is a Greek word, anakupto, and it means to lift oneself up. And here it's translated, look up. And the thought is of being elated in joyful expectation. That's what it means. And that's how it is. Or that's how it ought to be for the believer in Christ when we see these things beginning to happen that are pointing to the glorious coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be looking up with joyful expectation for Jesus is coming again. And what a day that's going to be. What more could stir our hearts and give our souls a sense of joy and gladness than the thought that the Lord is near. He's coming back again. Indeed, our redemption draweth nigh. The sad and sorrowful experiences of this life will not last forever, praise God. Indeed, the dreadful days of tribulation prior to the Savior's return are coming to an end. And what we're seeing happening, dreadful as it is, shocking as it is, in Israel this day, is going to cease. When? At the coming of Christ. Then it will be forever with the Lord. Does that not instill into your heart a deep sense of joy and gladness as we sang Jesus is coming sing the glad word coming for those he redeemed by his blood 
coming to reign as the glorified Lord. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming, is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Shout the glad tidings o'er mountain and plain. What are we going to shout? Jesus is coming again. And that's the glad news. That's the, the tidings of great joy. It's the day of our redemption. Oh, we have been redeemed already. In that sense, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We sing about it, don't we? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. There was a moment in our life when we, by faith, turned to Christ. We believed in the Son of God to the saving of our souls. And the blood was applied. And we were redeemed in that sense. We were bought by the blood of the Savior. But this is the day of our full redemption. When Jesus comes to take us out of this old world to be with himself forevermore. Not so for the unsaved. Not so. You need to be warned here. You're not a Christian in this meeting. When these things begin to come to pass, you cannot look up with joyful expectation because you're not redeemed. You're not ready. You're not prepared. You are still in your sin and on the road to hell. What a dreadful and a dark day the coming of the Son of God will be. It will usher an eternal separation and judgment and destruction for you who know not the Lord. And so you can't identify with what the Lord is saying here in this sense of look up with joyful anticipation and expectation because you don't know the Lord. Oh, you need to be saved. Let me tell you that. Can I quickly say, as I pick out another verb, that gives us an exhortation. Jesus says, take heed. Take heed. What am I to learn when I see these things begin to happen? What's going on in Israel now and the, the, the things ahead that will get worse and worse? What am I to do? I'm to look up and in verse 34, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life and so that that day come upon you unawares. No greater challenge perhaps could be given in the light of today's events and the coming of Christ than this exhortation. Are you listening? Are you sitting up in the pew tonight and listening to what Jesus is saying? Take heed to yourselves. Every man, no matter who you are, woman too, young people, every person must sit up and listen must pay attention, must give the utmost careful consideration to the fact that the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Dear Christian, you and I must take heed. Am I living right in view of the coming Savior? Am I walking in holiness in this world? Am I giving due attention to the way that I am uh, conducting my affairs and being a wit the witness that I ought to be? Jesus is coming. Take heed, dear believer. You don't want that day to come upon you unawares. Well, there's a message here particularly for the worldly-minded person, those who might be caught up in what the Lord is talking about here, surfeiting and drunkenness and overburdened with the cares of this life. We can be so distracted by these things. On one hand, by sin, the sinful things that are mentioned here, and on the other hand, by the stress, the sinful things are like drunkenness 
and the stressful things, obviously the cares of this life, it's possible. Indeed, it's most likely for such people that Christ, will co- when he comes again, will take them unawares. The child of God, you see, will be looking up, as we've seen, looking up with joy and with jubilant anticipation, but the worldly person will be snared. That's what the Lord is saying. That day will come unexpectedly. You'll not be anticipating it, and consequently, you will be found wanting and unprepared. Oh, man or woman of the world, if you're here tonight or listening in tonight, engrossed by sin and by burdens, I say to you in the words of Jesus Christ, take heed to yourselves, not to other people. You're not going to answer for other people. You're not going to give an account for their conduct upon the earth. Too many people are looking around them and they're taking heed to other people. Jesus says, take heed to yourself, to you personally. That's his message to you. And how do you take heed? Well, you take heed, first of all, by making sure you're ready, that you have a saving relationship with Christ, that you're in Christ. That's the most important thing. And then you take heed by making sure that you're living right. You're ready and you're walking with God. And then verse 35 will bring us to watch ye. That's what the Lord says. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. This is really a a reinforcement of the Lord's command, take heed. Jesus says, watch. Watch ye therefore. We need to have our wits about us. We need to have our eyes opened. We need to have a view of our life and make sure that our life is pleasing to the Lord. Those who are watching will not be caught unawares. And he wants you to be prayerful. You could say watch and pray. That's written really in this verse, isn't it? Watch and pray, says the Lord. May I not always to pray. Give special attention to this. These are the words of Christ. Do they mean anything to you? Are you diligent in prayer? Privately and publicly. The great reason to be in prayer is given by the Lord, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man to escape the horrible destruction. Not just that horrible destruction if you were in the vicinity of Jerusalem when Jesus comes again, but the horrible destruction that's eternal in a lost eternity in that awful place that is called hell, that you might escape hell and that you might be made worthy to stand before the Lord. And the only way that you can be worthy to stand before him is to know him and to be clothed in his righteousness and washed in his blood, to be a true believer in Christ. That's the message. That's what I learn as I think about what's happening in Israel. I turn to God's word. I search it, and I see what is God saying to me? What message has he for me? And I was brought to this 21st chapter of Luke's gospel, and that's what the Lord is saying to us tonight. He's saying very, very clearly, look up. 
you're a child of God, look up with joyful expectation. Jesus is coming. He says to you, take heed to yourselves. Make sure that you're walking right in this world. And he says, watch ye therefore, that ye may be worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. May God bless his word to your heart and trust and pray that something said tonight has been meaningful to you, helpful to you, challenging in your heart. And if you know not the Savior, that you might come to him and seek him, trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that we can learn, lessons that must be applied in the light of the fact of what's happening in Israel today and what's going to happen there according to your word. It'll all be fulfilled. Lord, we bless thee again that when terrible times come and there seems to be no hope for the land and the people, Jesus will come and he will fight against those nations that have come against Israel and he will get the victory and a nation will be born in a day and a people will turn savingly to Christ. Lord, hasten that day. But remember that they are unsaved ones that are here. Lord, they too need to be prepared. They need to be ready. They need to be watchful in these spiritual and eternal things. May they seek Christ tonight. Call upon him while he's near. Be converted. Lord, right now, take a dealing with them by the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Just as I am without one plea. How do you come to Christ? You come just as you are. Whatever condition, whatever situation you find yourself in tonight as a, as a sinner with worries, perplexities, uncertainties, with sin, you come just as you are. But that thy blood was shed for me and that thy bids me come to thee. You, you come and you say, O Lamb of God, I come. And the Lord will make things right and he will change your life and turn you about. But you come just as you are. May the Lord give you grace to do that as we sing a few verses of the closing hymn. <clears throat> Let's rise and sing.
And Father, may there be a coming to Christ. May there be those who are moved by the Lord in their heart to say, O Lamb of God, I come. May this be the greatest night of their life as they find salvation through the blood of the cross. Bring them to the Savior. Don't let them go home without him. Separate us with your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.